0: The field of psychological crisis intervention has been practiced for over 100 years. It is now accepted worldwide as a concept, but implementation remains a challenge. Hello, I'm Andy Everly, host for the ICISF Quick Tips series. In this episode, we will focus on some of the most common misunderstandings and mistakes surrounding the field of psychological crisis intervention and critical incident stress management. Dr. George Everly Jr. joins me to discuss this topic. He is co-founder of ICISF and professor of international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. In addition, he was formerly chief psychologist at the Johns Hopkins Homewood Hospital Center. Dr. Everly, if psychological crisis intervention has been around for over 100 years, why is implementation still a challenge?
1: Well, I think there are three factors which largely explain the problems we see implementing psychological crisis intervention. The first problem was pointed out years ago by the director of the National Institute of Mental Health, Dr. Bert Brown. He commented that the fields of crisis intervention and disaster mental health lacked a standard nomenclature. Without a standard vocabulary, it's hard to advance theory or practice. The second problem is, compared to courses in psychotherapy, there are remarkably few crisis intervention classes offered within university-based clinical training programs. The third problem, crisis and disaster interventions, by definition, are emergent interventions often implemented in the field amongst chaos, confusion, tragic circumstances, and sometimes even the risk of physical injury. This environment makes intervention of any kind very challenging.
0: So what are the most common mistakes and misconceptions?
1: As for quick tips, well, here's a list of 15 common mistakes that I would say we should try to avoid. The first, the lack of specific training in crisis intervention. We put people in emergent situations, and yet we do so assuming they know what to do without really knowing that they've been trained adequately to perform in that environment. You can go through an eight-year training program, a doctorate of clinical psychology, and never once have to take a class in suicide intervention, never once have to take a class in crisis intervention, and never once have to take a class in disaster mental health. Second problem, rushing to fix the problem rather than mitigate the psychological distress associated with the problem. Many of us tend to be fixed people. We want people to feel better. We are control-oriented people. We want to fix it. What do you do when you can't fix the problem? When we face such circumstances, one of two things usually happens. We crash and burn ourselves, or we figure out that the goals of crisis intervention are to stabilize and mitigate a human distress. In response to an incident, very seldom will we be able to fix the incident itself. Third problem, failure to anticipate and manage counter-transference reactions. Sometimes we will find ourselves in situations that are very close to home psychologically, and this blurs our objectivity. That process is called counter-transference we must anticipate that in disaster settings we may be confronted with things we've never seen before on a magnitude we've never seen before we should prepare in advance and not be surprised the fourth mistake using excessive uncovering techniques or taking too much time to take in-depth histories digging too deeply if you will or opening doors we can't close in a 15 to 30 minute intervention. The fifth mistake is misinterpreting situational reticence or the lack of emotional response as somehow therapeutic resistance or even psychopathology. I think we have to keep in mind that as there is a wide realm of differences in human beings, so too are those differences extending into how we deal with stress and disaster and catastrophe. Some people shut down. Some people analyze. Some people emote. Different styles work for different people. We should hesitate to think that we know what somebody else should be doing, saying, or how they should be reacting. The sixth mistake, taking a one-size-fits-all approach to intervention, failure to understand and use the critical incident stress management integrated multi-component continuum of care. In physical medicine, a continuum of care is the standard of care. So too should it be in disaster response and crisis intervention, we should use a wide range of tools timed for the needs of the situation and the environment and the person, frankly. To do that, we have to employ a continuum of care. We must choose from a wide array of interventions and use them at the right time with the right person. Strategically, this gives us great strength. Tactically, it means that we must be trained proficiently in the use of many different techniques. Seventh mistake, failure to consider cultural dynamics. Culture, well, it serves as a bit of a filter. It filters how people respond. It filters how they perceive a situation. We may not be able to fully understand those dynamics in the moment, but we must certainly appreciate that they can be mitigating or augmenting factors. The eighth mistake, failure to follow up. We generally prescribe intervention plus two follow-ups if possible. Ninth mistake, over pathologizing, meaning We see people in distress, we overestimate its severity. But in doing so, we really underestimate the power of natural human resilience. People are more resilient than we often give them credit for. Tenth mistake, telling someone in distress that you understand exactly what they're going through. No, you don't. You may have a sense, perhaps you've gone through something similar, It's not about you, it's about the other person. The eleventh mistake, making promises you can't keep. What's the most common? Now, now, everything is going to work out fine. Sometimes it will, but you can't guarantee it. Twelfth mistake, failure to explain any limitations on confidentiality. Some of us are mandated reporters. What are the implications for that conversation? Don't we have an obligation to express up front if there are limitations to confidentiality? Thirteenth mistake, resistance to acknowledging that someone needs a higher level of care. We want to see people recover. We want to see people get better. We don't want to see them suffer. But sometimes it's important to recognize when some other intervention would be useful. A higher level of care, a different level of care, financial counseling, marital counseling, medical interventions, spiritual and religious interventions. Fourteenth mistake, failure to have a plan for accessing other resources. If we acknowledge that people will need further care, we should have done our homework and known where those resources might reside and how to access those resources. And the 15th, and this may be the greatest problem of all as we see it, the failure to follow prescribed structures when using critical incident stress management interventions during individual or group interventions. Structure is an antidote for chaos. This is not a time for catch-as-catch-can interventions. Follow the models. They're empirically derived and in many instances, empirically validated.
0: While the field of psychological crisis intervention is gaining in popularity and practice, its growth is still held back by misconceptions and misapplications. For now, ongoing training appears to be the best practical remedy I'm Andy Everly. Until next time.